Welcome back to Health is Your Wealth, a Walton County conversation. My name is Dee Dee Harris. I am the executive director of Walton Wellness, Inc., a nonprofit here in Walton County dedicated to the prevention of lifestyle-related chronic illness. And I am back with my wonderful co-host, Bruce Young. We are back with a bonus episode in our suicide series. And uh, speaking of which, we've had pretty good response for the series so far. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I have been really pleased with, you know, originally we started this series not only just to bring awareness to the community, but we also had the hope that through this series we might could get some more resources brought into our community because we're, we're severely lacking when it comes to support groups and sure. that kind of thing. So um, it's been great. We've had some response from the community, some, you know, citizen community members that have just come forward that say, we want to see something happen. We've been touched by suicide personally, or either, um, you know, I am just sorry to hear that this is a problem in our community and I want to do something about it. Um, we've also strengthened our relationship with Ridgeview um, through the series also and am working oh, with them to bring some more resources to the community. So, so yeah, it's done exactly what I had hoped, which was um, to get people talking. Right, an outreach. I yeah. mean, you know, sometimes the initial part is the hardest part, you know, getting that conversation started. And, yeah, uh, so especially I think that's what you've done with this. Yeah, especially with suicide. I mean, that is not a conversation that everybody wants to have, and um, with good reason. Absolutely. And um, so, th- thinking about that and the fact that it is a com- it's not a conversation that most people want to have. We've talked a lot in the series about keeping it in the dark, and how mental health issues, as well as suicide really pretty much reside in the dark corners of our community because they're difficult to they're difficult to solve they're difficult to talk about right um and another thing that has come out of this series is an event that um the community is kind of coming together to plan and that event is happening on september 12th and it's called Into the Light. So oh, again, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, which it's going to be, the event is a panel discussion. We're calling it a community conversation about mental health and suicide. And it's going to be a panel that's basically made up pretty much like the podcast. The faith community will be represented. Clinical. Mental, yes, clinical, uh, law enforcement, as well as some personal stories um, represented on the panel. And the idea is... And this is open to the community. Yes. Yes. September 12th at Walnut Grove High School in their auditorium. And it's going to be from 630 to 830. We're going to be doing a big push social media. We're partnering with the school system as well. They're supporting this. Oh, um, that's great, too. So kind of trying to bring the community together. And the purpose behind this is we want people... We want the whole community there. We want professionals... 
um, of organizations who are dealing with this topic or dealing with youth. Um, we want people who have been affected by suicide and are looking to connect or looking for um, a support group in some way. We pretty much, we want parents to be there. We want, you know, You're really ministers. opening the doors to anyone that, that, that might need to, to hear this or at least right. be a part of it. And maybe they hadn't said anything before until, until this panel. So. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's time. Um, I think you and I, Bruce, we've talked about that since we launched this series in May, we've had several more suicides in our community. Um, just over the summer. Yeah, and that blew me away. Just the fact that, you know, it's not going to stop because we have a podcast, but, you know, it, the conversation needs to continue. So the panel is a fantastic idea. Yes. Yeah, so please, I want to encourage everyone who's listening, um, if you're in our area, to please come out on um, September 12th to Walnut Grove High School at 6.30 to 8.30. It'll be in their auditorium. Be looking for announcements on Facebook and everything to give um, more information. So, um, so Yeah, and speaking of Facebook, we want to hear from our listeners. So message us on Facebook, and you can reach us from waltonwellness.org. Mm-hmm. Or waltonwellness at gmail.com gmail. is our email address. Yeah. So and we want to hear from you. And we also have a development about where you can find us. Yes. Oh, that's right. We are now <laughs> That's your cue, Bruce. That's right. My cue. We are now on iTunes. So that's, a, that's a big deal for us. <laughs> that's and right. We're happy to be there. Yes. So check us out on iTunes. Yes. If you're looking for another place to find us, for sure. Um, so that brings us around to this uh, bonus episode. Yeah, who was your uh, who was your interview with this time? So the interview for um, this episode is with a man named Shannon Herndon. And how did this one come about? And I was going to ask that, but I forgot. Yeah, he was an interview that I kind of um, learned about once we had already recorded most of our other episodes. Um, but he has such a compelling story to tell um he is done come back from some really uh, big tragedies in his life and um has been on the brink of suicide himself and come back from that oh, wow. um, he's got addiction in his past he has um a brother who committed suicide um so he does have a lot of um tragedy in his past but he is a very faithful christian and he definitely um, works hard at his, what he, you know, we always say you're in recovery always from right. addiction issues. So he has started a couple of programs here in our community that are geared towards people with addiction. Um, and he... Can we say what those are on Yeah, and he, do, and he does talk about them. Um, one is called Blue Chips. These are... Um, Mr. Herndon is kind of based in the Loganville area. Okay. And he works with the First Baptist Church of Loganville. Um, and Blue Chips is one of his um, groups that he has started, which is based in Loganville. And then he has another group called True North that actually operates within the church, um, Loganville First Baptist Church. So he has got a really compelling story, and um, he's done a lot since he's been um, kind of on the edge himself. And he also is going to be part of our panel discussion on September 12th. Oh, great. Well, that'll be 
that'll be awesome. Uh, the, again, the panel idea is just such a good thing, I think, for this community and open up the conversation. But yeah, I look forward to this next bonus episode with uh, Mr. Herndon. Great. Thanks. Well, Shannon, I want to thank you for being here today on Health is Your Wealth, a a podcast by Walton Wellness. Um, As you know, we have just finished a series on suicide, which unfortunately, as I've shared the statistics many times on this podcast, um, are not so great here in Walton County. They're, They're certainly not great across our country, but Walton County has a little issue as well. Um, and I know that you're going to share with us who you are and kind of what you do in our community right now. And then you're going to share with us your very important story. I just want to start off by thanking you for being here and letting you kind of introduce yourself to everyone. Thank you, Dee Dee. I appreciate it very much. So tell us, um, we are sitting here at First Baptist Church in Loganville. So tell me, Tell everyone, I know, (laughs) but tell everyone why we're sitting at First Baptist Church in Loganville. Okay, so uh, me and my wife, my family, we've attended here for, I guess, about six years now, something to that effect. We've lived in Loganville for a little over 10, but we've been here at First Baptist for about six years. And a couple years ago, um, while we were attending, um, the pastor and uh, some of the people on staff here knew of my involvement with recovery in the community, and there had come an opening for um, a recovery-type class here. They were looking for someone to maybe direct a Christ-centered recovery class, and um, I prayed about it for a little bit, and, um, you know, the Lord said, that's what I want you to do. So I came to Pastor Ronnie and Jimmy and the rest of the group, and I just said, hey, um, I'll do this. Oh, and and uh, they were like, oh, thank goodness. (laughs) Yeah, so, and that's True North. You know, that's our recovery class here that meets on Tuesday evenings and Sunday mornings, and it has gone very, very well. Uh, We've seen a lot of people restored. Um, The families are the biggest blessing for me, the kids that are involved. You know, you get a a husband clean and sober, and then the wife gets her father back, the kids, you know, and vice versa. We've seen children get their mom back and, you know, um, all of that. So this is our church. This is our home. Um, I have recently actually become an elder here at the church, which wow. is kind of mind-blowing. You know, what God can do with an <laughs> right. old recovered drug addict and alcoholic, um, that's a huge blessing. And, um, and I'm the pastor of recovery here at First Baptist, which, wow. as I was saying to you earlier, is you know, a little strange because you, know, you don't really think of roles of leadership in recovery. You know, mm-hmm. We're just one alcoholic, one addict helping another. That's the stance that I come from. You know, I just share my experience, strength, and hope. Right. Um, So, um, but it is an honor to be asked to, because you do need some types of leadership, you know, set up meetings and get things organized. The logistics Uh, of stuff. (laughs) But but from a standpoint of, you know, my knowledge and and whatnot, I'm just, uh, just grateful to be clean and sober today, and I'm willing to reach out and help other people. Uh, But this is our church home, and so... Uh, that's why we're here today. That's awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. Now, I have a couple of questions from what you said. Okay. One is, can you, and you did mention this is a new role, so you may not be able to share with us, but yeah. I think pastor of recovery would would be a new term yeah. to maybe a lot of people that are listening. It's new to me. Yeah. Um, so I'm very intrigued by what does that mean? So, you know, it's interesting you say that. So Pastor Ronnie, our head pastor here, Ronnie Kendall, he comes about once a quarter to our True North groups on Tuesday nights, and he okay. shares with the people and talks with them. And um, 
one of the meetings afterwards, he and I were talking, and and I don't know, I had made some comment about, well, you're a pastor. And he looked at me, and he goes, Shannon, he goes, you're a pastor. <laughs> he said, your heart for these people in here? And he said, the time that you commit to helping mm-hmm. people and the things you do in the community, he goes, that's what a pastor role is. You pray for these people. You love these people. You know, you meet them where they're at. Um, and, you know, I told the Lord 15 years ago, I said, God, this is when I literally sat with that gun in my hand trying to find the courage to end my life. I said, Lord, I don't know if you exist or not, but if you're there, I'll give you everything I have. And from that day forward, when he saved me, you know, whatever role he's asked me to step into, I've done. Wow. So, um, you know, again, it's a little intimidating to yeah. even have someone call you a pastor. <laughs> I can imagine that that's kind of a big wait. And you're like, wait a second. I don't know if I signed up for this. Yeah. And I know I would have some old friends that would say, my goodness, you know, <laughs> what does the church become? Um, but the people that know me, they would understand that because I do right. have a heart for people that are hurt and lost. And, um, and I commit a lot of my time to that. Right. You know, my family knows it. Everyone knows that. That's a big part of what I do. So um, when we're in our group, I'm not like standing up preaching at people. Right. You know, I teach sometimes, and so do other people in our right. class. Everybody that attends and teaches at True North are all in recovery. Okay. Um, and I wanted to ask, while we're on this topic right now, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about, so if someone listening yeah. is interested mm-hmm. in attending these classes or whatever, can you tell us like dates, times, all of that stuff, how they can find out about it? And then we'll talk again maybe at the end just to remind people yes. um, what you know how they can come to a True North class and who specifically it's for. So is this just addicts or is this family like husbands wives children yes we have families that come we have okay. husbands and wives that have attended we have a uh, child care um okay. we meet on tuesday nights from 7 to eight thirty. okay um right here at first baptist if you drive to the back parking lot you'll see the true north signs up um and then i guess about a year ago pastor ronnie said hey this would be something that i think could benefit um some of our members even on sunday mornings Okay. And you know, a lot of people, particularly when they're dealing with the types of problems that come with alcohol addiction, drug addiction, um, they're really the same, but um, they're not comfortable always sitting in a regular Sunday school class. They don't feel. um, So what we did was we said, look, we're going to offer a True North class on Sunday mornings for people or family members of those that are in recovery. So you can come and we've taught on the principles of the 12 steps, fruits of the spirit. I mean, we just go through uh, uh, books of the Bible. But it's a classroom of people that have all fought that same battle. Okay. Um, and there's a lot of openness in our sharing. We've had a lot of members from a church attend our True North class. Right. And they're like, wow, you guys really lay it down in there. A lot <laughs> of openness, a lot of honesty, right. a lot of confession of the junk in our life. Um, right. And there's no judgment. Wow. You know, we're just a broken group of people who come to learn about the Lord and, and uh, read the, learn the scriptures and, and share with one another. And we pray for one another. So how do you deal with stigma within the church? I mean, um, stigma among drug addiction as well Mm -hmm. as mental illness and stuff. We have so much stigma, and a lot of times the church can be very guilty of having that stigma. Um, You know, I've heard things come out of Christians' mouths like, um, well, you're not praying enough. You don't need that antidepressant. You can pray your way out of depression. Or, you know, um, just the fact of getting into drugs and, and whatever can just kind of 
create judgment in people. Yeah. We are all people. Christians are people. That's right. So how do you deal with the stigma? Uh, like, especially Sunday morning, I'm thinking, wow, people see other people going into that class. How yeah. is that handled? Well, let me tell you about two stigmas I deal with, okay? Uh, one is in the church towards recovery, okay, and what you're saying. And I've even heard people say, well, maybe they can't quit because of unconfessed sin. You know, you mm. hear certain things that, you know, just kind of make the hair stand up on the back of my neck. Um, I'll say this. Praise the Lord that I have been in the scriptures for a lot of years. I feel the Apostle Paul. <laughs> okay, the brokenness of the disciples, right? right? Uh, all of my favorite people of the Bible were very broken. You know, a lot of people right. don't know that. So David must be a really David favorite was a one murderer, <laughs> adulteress. Noah got drunk and passed out naked on the ground. You know, right. people don't know that Moses murdered a guy with his hands. And so I hear these things in the church, and I get it. I know where they're coming from. Right. So I address it with love, compassion, grace, mercy, uh, but firmly when it does come up. And, and it rarely ever does. Really? Yeah, because people see what's going on, and okay. I think they feel the genuineness of what's happening. They see the change in a lot of people's lives. And, um, you know, I don't know if maybe they just don't want to confront me. Right. Because I have, you know, once or twice in the last 10 years, um, I'll, I'll share this. There was a recovery group here in Loganville, and they had it, and, and I sat in a meeting and uh, a pastor basically told them, they said, well, if you had the Holy Spirit in you, you wouldn't be an addict. Hmm. And, and and he shared some verses out of Romans. And at the end of the meeting, I went up to him and I said, I, I volunteered to help him. And he's like, well, we really don't need any help right now, but you're welcome to keep him coming back. And I said, right. sir, I said, not only do you not understand recovery, I said, but you don't understand the scriptures. Ooh, he didn't invite me back. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, you know, I was loving, but it was, it was very upsetting right. because um, a lot of people in recovery, uh, they don't know the scriptures. They're right. trying to find God. And the last thing they need is some church person telling them, here's the reason for your problem. Right. When they probably have no idea what's going on with those people. Right. So um, that stigma, I don't have to deal with it often, but when I do, it's pretty easy. Good. Yeah, <laughs> don't have much problem with that. The other stigma is in the recovery rooms, a lot of the 12-step groups around where they don't like the church and they okay. have a preconceived notion of everyone in the church and they kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater okay. because of past experiences dealing with some of that stigma. Right. You know, and so they just say, well, I don't like religion. I don't like the church. And I'm like, come on, guys. Not all of us in the church are like that. Right. You know, Christ is here. Jesus wasn't a huge fan of religion either, or at right. least a lot of the religious leaders. So, um, you know, I address it on both sides uh, with, with love and grace. Which is following Jesus's example. Trying. I don't always do so good. I've been to three anger management classes since I got sober. So let me just go ahead and throw that out there. You know, to show. Yeah, we're all very human. Definitely. We well, I'm really impressed to hear that you don't deal with any of the stigma just from having that Sunday morning class. I think that's pretty impressive. And it says a lot about this church. So um, I'm glad to hear that. And so that is open to anybody Tuesdays and Sundays as well. Open yeah. to anyone who's interested in coming. And we'll kind of follow up to also, can all of this be found on the Loganville First Baptist website? Yes, okay. as far as I know, it can be. Now, somebody said there was an issue with the link recently, but I'm sure they've got that fixed. I'll check okay. that. But if you go on our website, you can find it. And, um, you know, people are welcome to call me. Okay. You know, if I'm 
am I allowed to give out my phone number? Oh, sure. That... You are allowed to give out your phone number. And let's do that at the end. Okay. And also your email. Yes. Um, and then that way it doesn't get lost in the middle here. So, okay. yeah, I would love um, for you to be willing to let people contact you because I think after hearing your story and, and everything you have to share with us, they probably would want to. Or you could definitely um, give some people hope for sure. sure. And, and I'll, I'll tell you this, when they when I took – the directorship role here two years ago, um, whenever anyone would call the church looking for recovery or whatever, they would send them to me. And uh, the majority of the calls I got were families. Wow. What do we do for our child? What do I do for my spouse? And um, and I would have to be honest and say, if they're not ready, there's nothing you can do. But right. some of those phone calls would last an hour and I would give them hope. Right. And I'd pray with them and I'd say, look, I've seen people go through what your child or your spouse is going through sometimes for years before they found recovery and now they are this and I would just give them hope and um, sometimes that's what they need is someone to talk to right they don't know who to talk to to say man my child who used to be this all-american baseball player is now a meth addict and he's robbing from me or he's in and out of jail and you know it's um and they hide that stuff and um and it can be it's like having, uh, uh, like losing a child to death, but they're still alive. Right. That's how yeah. it's been described to me by several imagine. parents, and it's horrible. You right. Know? I almost wonder if sometimes it's worse than losing your child to death because uh, of the, I mean, when someone dies, there is the process of working through the grief and getting past, and you know where they yeah. are. When, you know, people in my life that I know have children that are um, addicted with the in and out of jail and leaving the state and going to different states, they never know where they are. Right. And they never know when that phone call may be coming, whether it's about their child being in jail or whether it's about their child, you know, being hurt or in the hospital or dead. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine living with that anxiety. So I think Well, and, and one thing that you deal with a lot too with families is if you have one child that becomes a drug addict, it's really bad on the other children, the rest yeah. of the family. And sometimes that's tough. You're trying to protect these two kids from what this child is doing right. and it's hell. Yeah. Very yeah. difficult. Well, I know that um, you have quite a story um, in your own life. And that was one of the things <clears throat> that we wanted to talk about today. Sure. And, you know, I mentioned that I think this episode is about hope. We've talked a lot. I've asked a lot of different professionals and people throughout this series, you know, um, is this conversation about suicide? Is is this about a loss of hope? Or is it about mental illness? Is it about both? Which I think it is definitely yes. about both. I mean, someone can't get to that point of wanting to end their life if they have any hope, I yeah. imagine. So, um, I just want you to kind of start and share your story and, and how you got to be the recovery pastor at Loganville First Baptist. That <laughs> still sounds strange. But, um, so, wow, where to start? You know, I'll start here. My, my mother lost custody of her first two children before she met my father. Now, this was back in the 60s when this kind of wow. thing didn't really happen a lot. Yeah. Um, and some of this I only learned the details of from my Aunt Becky a few years ago. But um, my, my older brother, Wayne and Carol, my other, older brother and sister, um, and they're both gone now. Uh, my brother was 37 when he committed suicide. Mm-hmm. He hung himself. And um, my sister, Carol, passed away uh, just a few years ago. And she struggled all of her life with addiction and um, opiates was oh. one of the things. I mean, one of those deals where uh, you know you get in a car wreck and, and it gets prescribed to mm-hmm. you, and then it just 
steamrolls right. and you never can get off of it. And our entire family, my father was an alcoholic. His dad was an alcoholic. My mm. mother was an alcoholic. Her father, I mean, our whole family. Wow. Just riddled with addiction. All of us. Yeah, that's why I've told my children. I'm like, look, if you ever wonder if you're going to yeah. like this or not, don't. Yeah, don't even, don't even wonder. <laughs> Everyone in our family. Um, but when I was uh, when I was nine, my father was military, so we okay. were all over the place. I was in Germany, you know, bomb holder, uh, Hanau, different bases, and we came back to uh, Fort Knox. I was born in Fort Rooker. Okay. Um, when I was nine, my mom and dad divorced, and it was bad. It was mm-hmm. violent. Um, they were both alcoholic. Um, and I was happy when they got divorced because of the violence. Right. You know, um, one time my, my dad broke my mom's arm mm. and, uh, you know, they acted like it was a motorcycle accident, you know, and, and I remember the police coming and, you know, mom being like, Hey, say this happened. Oh, so wow. it was that kind of stuff, yeah. you know? So when they got divorced and she married a, a farmer over in Tifton, Georgia, I was happy. Mm. Uh, my dad was never violent towards me. I will say that, but him and my mom, oh, they fought really bad. Um, my brother Wayne had moved in with us right before they got divorced, which caused a lot of problems because he was a drug addict mm. and he was also selling drugs out of our house, which created a lot of problems, as you can imagine. Wow. My father What's was... What's the age difference between you and... 10 years. Okay, between you and your brother? Yes. So wow. when I was nine, he was 19. Um, That's a big age difference. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it was bad. You know, mom was trying to help take care of him because he had a lot of issues that even went on before he come to, to, to live with us, um, mm-hmm. obviously from his broken family. Um, but one particular night when my mom and dad were fighting, my brother snuck me out the back. We took off in a silica, and he gave me my first joint when I was nine years old. So my brother gave me my first joint when I was nine. He gave me my first line of cocaine when I was probably 16. Um, so it was that type of influence, right? you know, which something's always been on my heart. You know, you got to watch when you have a sibling that's doing wrong. It really impacts other kids in the house. Um, So my brother was a mess and I loved him. um, And I would have done anything for him. Uh, Matter of fact, the day when we had to go down to clean out his apartment, you know, I had sent him a box. I was living in Michigan. I was helping him pay his college tuition. He had got his GED and gotten to Kennesaw State and was trying to get his life back together when he just he had no hope. So um, he put a rope around his neck and hung himself. And when I came down to help clean out his apartment, you know, there was the box that me and my wife had sent him and had the letter in it telling him how proud I was of him and all that. But um, was it opened or no, it was not. No, it was out. They had it was outside of his door. And the guy that had the apartment, you know, that that owned the apartments, they put it inside because they knew we were coming. Um, I have a question with when your brother first introduced drugs to you at nine. What do you think his reason was? I mean, I know you can only speculate, obviously, but what do you think his reasoning in his head was about introducing you at such a young age to that? You know, it's funny you say that because I always thought it's because he really liked me, and so he wanted me to have fun. He knew it might ease the pain because it was horrible listening to my mom and dad tear up the house and all that, and he knew I was crying and all that, so I always thought maybe he just gave it to me to make me feel better. Right. Um, Later on, uh, the woman that he had been married to told me he did it because uh, he was trying to hurt mom and dad. Oh, wow. Yeah, because he didn't like my dad, who wasn't his natural father. Right. And um, and literally, he was trying to lead me in, down a bad path. That was weird emotion for me to deal with. I can imagine. Yeah, so I don't know. My brother was really messed up in the head, obviously. Right. He was into a lot of uh, dark things. Uh, the internet, pornography, different stuff mm-hmm. that uh, we found on his computer after we cleaned out his apartment, he was into a lot of 
really bad stuff. Right. And we found a letter he had written. He was doing a paper at school, and he wrote a letter on why, why he hated God. Oh, wow. And so what was his reasoning for hating God? I'll tell you this. I read it, and I know my brother. And where I'm at now, having spent 15 years working with recovering addicts, my brother didn't hate God. My brother hated himself. Right. Yeah, he didn't hate God. Um, I'm not going to sit here and tell you he was a believer. Right. I don't know. Well, I was going to say he probably didn't know God, or yeah. at least the God that we know. The letter that I read, I remember thinking to myself after that, well, I'll tell you this, a person that didn't believe in God would never write a letter like that. Right. He believed in God. He had a lot of pain and suffering in his life. Um, you know, I have hope. Could I see my brother in heaven? I know right. a lot of people would say, well, he hadn't proclaimed Jesus. Um, but we don't know a person's heart. We don't know where they're at in their faith. You know, right. we know the Bible says some people are going to say, Lord, Lord, and Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I don't know you. Right. You know, I know you spent your life doing this, but I never knew you. And I think we're going to be shocked by some of the people we do see in heaven. Right. You know, that maybe just live lives that were just surrounded with hell. Right. You know, so, but we don't know and I don't know. Right. Well, mm -hmm. that's right. So moving back to your story, um, once your brother introduced this world of drugs yeah. to you, then did you start seeking it on your no, own? No. So thank God my mom married a farmer in Tifton, Georgia. Right. And we moved out on a hundred acre farm in the middle of what I thought was hell. It was just <laughs> acres and acres of farm. And, yeah, and I had grown up on military bases. Wow. So we had cows and pigs and um, long story short, from when I was like nine and moved to Tifton all the way up through high school, I had a good life. I learned how to work. I mean, I had to crop tobacco and my stepfather started a construction company from scratch. Um, so that's how we started in metal buildings when I was 10, which is what I still do today. Right. I've been in metal buildings all my <laughs> life. That's my day job. I'm a tent maker or metal building maker. Um, but I lived a good life through then. Um, I love Lynn, my stepfather, because even though he drank and my mom still drank, he was a, he never was violent, okay. and, which I was not used to. You know, right. mom could give him all kind of static and yell and scream and he would just take it. And I was like, wow. Yeah. So for whatever shortcomings he had, I always loved the fact that he never raised his hand at my mom. And right. um, so he raised me, you know, from when I was nine all the way up through uh, till I went to college. And um, I played sports. Um, I was very athletic, you know, loved football, went to track. Um, all of my kids are in track, by the way. My yeah. son's a Division One thrower at West Point. My my daughter just went to Junior Olympics out in California. So we're That's a big, awesome. yeah, we're a big track family. My wife threw discus in high school. I went to state, so um, it was really good. And and I'll jump forward to this because I drank a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. and some of our friends smoked a little weed or whatever. But be honest with you, I was working too hard. Right. And my friends were all mostly from the country. We all worked hard, and you know, we might drink a little bit, but just what you would consider. From the world standpoint, normal, normal kind of fun, yeah. yeah. Um, so I went to Auburn. My I first, forgive you for that. Thank you, War Eagle, <laughs> all you Auburn Tigers out there. Um, my first semester there, my mom got cancer. Oh wow! And it was very difficult. It was really hard to deal with. And I came home and and watched her die over the next three to four months. And um, the night she passed away, um, I can still remember. I was sitting out on my back porch, my legs dangled over we had a, a single wide mobile home we lived in and um and they rolled her out on that gurney and I turned and I looked at her and they had the, the the white sheet over and I just looked back and I was staring at the yard it was I don't know maybe one o'clock in the morning or something and something inside of me went dark and I mean you know you can hurt I've never lost a child praise the Lord and I know I've had some friends that have and I've heard it's 
unbelievably painful, but I have lost my mom mm-hmm. to cancer. I lost my brother to suicide. I lost my cousin to an accidental overdose. Um, lost a lot of close family members. And you can hurt so much, and then you kind of go numb. Mm-hmm. And then past that, I think you can go dark. And I was so angry with God. Like, I was just like, how in the world could you let this happen to such a beautiful human being? Because right. watching her those last few weeks, the pain and the agony she was in, and, um, you know, just the and look. And so were you in church during this time? No, no, I was not. Had you been churched at all? Yes. When we moved to Tifton, um, my mom and stepfather didn't go to church. But I inherited a grandmother that was a God-fearing woman, oh. and she was awesome. Louise Ingram, um, I still think a lot of the years that I lived out there in my debauchery was because she prayed for me every day. <laughs> <laughs> but she asked me to go to church when we okay. first moved there, and I said, well, what the heck, yeah, let's do this. And I don't know that I had ever been before, wow. and I liked it. Yeah. And I think what I liked the most was people going, oh, what a fine young man. Yeah. You know, he's with his grandma at a <laughs> yes. church. And, you know, and then mom and dad bought me, mom and my stepdad bought me some, you know, shirt and dress pants because, right. you know, you wear a shirt and tie to church. It was a little small Southern Baptist church, right. Salem Baptist in um, Scooterville, Georgia, Omega, <laughs> Ta-ta. one of those little bitty towns. Yeah, it wasn't towns. Tifton, but anyway, so I really enjoyed it. And um, I got baptized as a young teenager. Okay. And um, I'll say this, you know, and this is a big part of the, my ministry today in recovery. Um, I didn't make it in the church because what I was basically taught was, you know, when you get baptized, you, you get your sins washed away and you get filled with the Holy Spirit. And right. You live a new life. You're a new creation in Christ. And I agree with all that. But then it was like, so now you don't sin no more. That's what I remembered. And like, mm-hmm. so now, and I'm literally at the age of 14, 15. You're like, this is going to be a Oh, no, long I'm getting life. rid of my ACDC <laughs> cassette tapes, my Hank Williams Jr. I'm throwing away my Hustler and Penthouse magazines. I got hidden under a croaker sack right. behind a tobacco barn. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm throwing away my skull and my Copenhagen and all that. And I'm like, I'm going to live a new life. And, and it lasted for a little bit. And then, you know, here comes all these urges. And, and I'm a young teenager. And, and my friends are kind of like... It wasn't like I was looked down upon for right. getting baptized. You know, I think maybe back in that day, it was even more accepted. Like, all right, good deal. But then it was like, okay, so how do I live this new life for Christ? And I've got all these yearnings and stuff. And right. I was not going to be a hypocrite. That's something I've never done well, is to fake who I am. Hmm. Just, I'm going to be who I am. And if you like it, great. If you don't, I don't give a rip. Right. In my business and my personal life. And so eventually I quit going to church because I saw myself going to church, singing the songs, you know, yeah. doing the dance and all that. And then, you know, Saturday nights, it's cards and drinking and smoking and girls. And, and so I just said, I can't do this. And I said, either God's not real or he don't love me because this Holy Spirit ain't fixed me like they said it would. Right. I just didn't understand. Right. You know, I wish I wish I'd have had a me to teach me back then, which right. is a lot of what drives me. To say, yeah, you do need to quit those things and there's consequences, but let me tell you what sin really is. Right. Let me tell you what the Bible teaches about that. So um, I was in and out of church. You know, I would go a while and then I would hit hell in my life and I'd go back to church and then I'd leave church because things wouldn't go well. And, I see. And it was kind of that What do you cycle. think you were looking for when you were at church? 
Um, I know you said you didn't understand, so maybe you didn't know what you were looking for, but was it that you got mad and left church or it was just like you didn't want to be a hypocrite and you felt like maybe you were being a hypocrite by going to church? What was it? Yeah, well, what's funny was I know I know why I left every time and we don't have time to go through every one, but right. I know why I left because I would get in church and things would start going good and then little by little I'd start slipping off. You know, I'd start getting back into my old habits and people do that today i see it recovery people come to church for a while when things are really bad yeah they know god is the answer and that's what kept taking me back i knew god was the answer but i couldn't figure out why it didn't work why does going to church and getting back i got baptized three times (laughs) (laughs) you are mega listen i went to i went to a upc church for a little over a year i went to a pentecostal church because i got convinced that the reason I was going to ask you what UPC is. Is that Pentecostal? United Pentecostal, man. And he goes, oh, you ain't spoken tongues. That's why you keep failing. You know, you ain't been really baptized by the Holy Spirit. Gotcha. So I went there and I'm like, okay, I want to do this. I'll do anything. Yeah. Like, because I sat with a gun in my head twice. Once right after my mom died, I was 21. And I took a little 38 snub nose down to where I used to squirrel hunt. And I sat by a creek. And I wrote a letter to my best friend, Tommy Conger, and I just told him, I said, man, I'm, I'm out. This life's got nothing for me. I had, the night my mom died, I took all of her liquid morphine and all the pills that hospice had at the house. Right. And I stole them all. They knew it. And they're like, Shannon, you got to give this stuff back. And I said, I got nothing. And they're like, dude, we know you took them. You got to give them back. And I said, yeah, prove it. Like I'm, when I went dark, I meant like I just went fighting and drinking and doing any kind of drug I could get my hands on. Right. I was so angry. I wanted to die. So I, I took a gun, I went down there, and I um, was trying to find the courage to shoot myself the first time, and I heard, an, not an audible voice, but it's very loud in my head, and, and the Lord said, this ain't your time. I got um, plans for you, son. And it freaked me out. I literally got up shaking and crying, and I ran back to my trailer and called my buddy Tommy and told him what happened. He hit me square in the mouth. Um, he was so upset with because me. Because you almost... Yeah, because I was so stupid as to pick up a gun right. and all that stuff. And he was right, you know. And um, so that was the first time I had done that. And then right after that, you know, I went back, I went to that Pentecostal church. And it's a real long story in and out of just right. stuff. Um, so it's kind of the angel story as you... Find hope, and you try to start getting your life straightened out, and then you slip back into old habits, and it's a back and forth, which is typical of yeah. a lot of addicts. That's right. Um, and, and I'll were take, you in college during this time? So let me time? take you, you to finished? this. I, had, um, I, I dropped out first semester when my mom died of cancer, and then I did about three months of just going crazy and everything. And then my friend Tommy, you know, he said to me, he goes, hey, what would your mom say? He said, what did you promise her? And before she died, I promised her that I would go back to college and get my degree. Because nobody on either side of my family, the Herndons or the Trawicks, had ever graduated from a four-year university. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was a big deal to my mom. And when she was dying, literally on her deathbed, she'd come in there one day. Um, I hadn't spoken to her in audible word in two weeks because of the drugs. And it was in the, kind of the late stages. And one day, my Aunt Clemmie said, Shannon, your mom wants to talk to you. I'm thinking, you know, what's she going to it's not going to make any sense, right, but I'll go right. back. I was heartbroken. And I get back there and she was like, Hey baby. And I could see my mom was there, you know? Wow. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Like you hear people when their loved ones with Alzheimer's recognize them and they're like, Oh, they're right. Back. And it was one of those. And I was like, Hey mom. And she was like, Hey baby, I need you to do something for me. 
And I was like, I'll do anything. What do you want? I thought maybe she was going to say, pick me some flowers or whatever, you know? And she goes, when I die. And it was the first time she had ever, we had ever mentioned that she was dying. Me and my mom could not talk about it at all. And, um, she goes, when I die, she goes, I want you to go back to college and get your degree. And I had already decided I wasn't going back. I was going to work construction with my stepdad and all that. And, um, and I just kind of slumped back a little bit and I said, mom, I said, I think I'm going to work with the family business. And she looked at me and she goes, no, she goes, when I die, you're going to go back to college and get your degree. Wow. Cause that's what she wanted really right. bad, you know? And I think she knew me well enough to know that things were not going to go good for me. Right. You know, cause of how close we were. And, um, so anyway, my move the clock ahead, my friend Tommy said, remember your promise to your mom. You know, so I called Auburn University and I said, look, here's a deal. I'm broke. I about committed suicide. My mom just died. I have no money, but I want to come back to school, you know. And so the lady was like, well, tell you what, you come up here, sit down before the whatever they called it, the money committee. Right. And I had to get three letters notarized from the guy that buried my mom, the judge that wrote the will and all this stuff that basically let them know that the story I was telling them was true. Right. And I did, and they let me back into Auburn. I had to stay in the freshman dorms and work a job, do everything they wanted. And I was dirt poor, broke, but, you know, I graduated. That's awesome. Mechanical engineering. That's amazing. Um, Yeah, I'm not going to tell you I had my life all put together because I didn't. Um, I drank a lot at college, um, had a lot of friends that partied. How I got my degree sometimes I don't know, (laughs) but I did, and... um, Ended up getting a good job. I, I was an engineer for a while. Met my first wife, and um, uh, got into sales. Actually, with the company I'm with now. Oh, um, I've been with this company for 23 years. Wow. And um, I said, I got this now, God. I started making money. Bought me a house on the golf course. I mean, you know, nice vehicles, the rainbow playset in the backyard. I mean, had it all. Had three children, um, and found myself miserable and empty. I mm-hmm. thought money was going to fix my the things I, I'd always longed for in life, because I did grow up, grow up very poor, um, and it didn't. Um, I mean, I was flying to Super Bowls. I went to the World Series when the Braves won. We would go to the Masters. I went to the Masters nine years in a row. I was hanging out with to-do people. <laughs> right. You know, when we did our drugs, we did them with rich people, you know, in the <laughs> private boxes. And, you know, we drank Crown Royal and all of that crap. And, um, and I was miserable, and I was empty. And then the alcohol got worse, and, and the drugs came into the situation. And then it reached a point to where uh, my wife left me, rightfully so. Mm. You know, she divorced me and should have. Um, I was not faithful as a husband, and um, I was not a good father. Um, and for a season, you know, the courts would not let me be around my children without a court appointed somebody to be there because I was deemed a danger to my own kids. Wow. Um, this was only a matter of months, but, um, and I remember thinking to myself back then, as I was finding recovery and getting my life back on track, how could you think I'm a bad father? Right. <laughs> Don't you see everything I've given to my kids and all that stuff? Cause you were thinking about how hard you've worked and the money you've made and yeah. that kind of thing. That's what I thought being a good dad was provide a right. home, pay the bills, you know, and I was so wrong. Um, but so after she left and took the kids and, um, I found myself hopeless again and, um, could not see my life without alcohol and all the other stuff. And so I loaded my 30 alt six, sat on the edge of my bed and chambered it, put the butt on the floor and put my thumb in the trigger. And I was sitting there literally with the barrel in my mouth, trying to find the courage just to end it. And that's when I said the first real prayer I had said in probably a lot of years, because I had prayed for a long time, God, help me with my addiction. 
help me get clean and sober. Help me restore my family. I was praying. Right. I knew things were hopeless and I knew he was the answer. But I'll tell you this. Not one prayer I ever said had anything to do with me serving God or me helping anybody but me. Right. Not one. And I see that today with a lot of people I'm trying to help. And I get it. You know, right. you just, you, that's your first thought is just help me get out of this mess. But that prayer I said that morning, I said, God, I said, I don't know if you exist or not, but if you're there, I'll give you everything I got. And I've always told people, I felt like the Lord said, hold it, shut down. <laughs> My boy just said a real prayer. Wow. All right. Yeah. Herndon just got real. And, and obviously he answered that prayer. He said, all right, we're going to see. And he So at that moment, what do you think? Because you said before, you almost heard like an audible voice. Yeah. So in this moment... What made the difference? What made you put down the gun? Um, I believe he did. I mean, I honestly do. I, I believe it was because God had a plan for my life. Right. I really do. You know, um, one of those verses I like where it says, for it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, but it's a gift of God because we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he prepared beforehand. Right. I think my last 15 years of sobriety have been about his glory, you know, and has my family benefited? I got remarried. I was single for three years, um, but I did get remarried and, um, and I have custody of all of my children. I got my three, they moved, they've lived with us now for, I don't know, eight or nine years. And me and my wife had a child together. Um, so I have four and, um, you know, they've benefited from having a father that loves the Lord and serves people. And, you know, my wife has a husband that, uh, oh, I'm certainly not perfect, but, right. <laughs> you know, um, but my last 15 years have been about, about helping people. You know, I sell buildings and I work 60 hours a week and all that, but, you know, True North and other recovery groups here in Loganville. And, you know, that's why I'm sitting here with you. Right. Because I, I figure somebody's going to get help. So when you said that, when you put down the gun mm -hmm. in that moment, did you, what was your next step? Listen to this. Was it to get into recovery? What was ah, it? Let me tell you. So I was cocky. And I've told people this. Because a lot of people are like, man, I don't know what to do about church and God. And I grew up in it. But here's what I said. I'm sitting there in my house. And I've surrendered my life to God. Mm -hmm. And when I say I've surrendered, I'm like, Lord, I don't even want to leave this house unless you tell me what to do. I know money's not the answer. Corporate America offers nothing. I knew it. Right. Okay. I had the big degree from college. I had had the wife, the house on the golf course. I had had everything the world had to offer, okay? Mm -hmm. I mean, I had had all the fun you could have with alcohol and drugs and all that stuff, and I knew it meant nothing. So I said, God, I don't know where I want to go back to church. I said I would never go to another Baptist church. <laughs> Isn't that funny? That's the way God works. I told Ronnie that. I said, yeah, I told the Lord I'd never go back to a Baptist church because I was tired of getting hit with the sin stick, okay? <laughs> I was not going back to a Pentecostal church because I was just— and look, I believe in tongues. I believe in a lot of those people are genuine, but it just drove me nuts. Some of the things that they told me and said to me, and there were a couple of things that I thought were a little off track. And I said, I don't think I can do that again. And so I said, you know what, God, I'm not going anywhere until you tell me where to go. And this was what I said. I said, if you're the creator of the universe and you love me and you have a plan for me, then I don't need to figure it out. Right. You're God. Tell me what you want me to do, and I'll do it. And I had that attitude 15 years ago, and I have it today. This morning, I got up, and I said, Lord, I don't know what you want me to say. I'm not sitting down preparing anything. I said, whatever you want me to say, I'll say. Nothing more, nothing less. And so it started with a phone call two days later where a builder of mine up in Gainesville said, Hey, man, 
are you going to church anywhere? And I didn't talk to this guy about <laughs> church, you know? Right. And I was like, okay, why? Where is that coming from? Because I would have thought he, of all people, would have known I was a partier. I was right. really good at metal buildings. That's all I've ever done. Right. But for him to call me out of the blue and say, and I said, why? And he goes, man, it's the weirdest thing. But he said, I just felt like the Lord said, I was supposed to call you and invite you to church. And I'm like, okay, okay. Like I'm sensing this. I'm like, all right, is this you, God? And I'm like, why? And he goes, you know, it's just weird. He goes, I don't know. And he goes, if I'm out of place, forgive me. He said, and I said, okay, where? And he said, um, well, I go to Free Chapel up in Gainesville. He said, Pastors Jensen Franklin. I'd never heard of any of it before. And I said, well, what kind of church is it? And he goes, well, he says, it's, it's really kind of non-denominational. He said, it's kind of a cross. He said, Jensen grew up Pentecostal. And I'm like, oh, Pentecostal. He said, but you know, it's also kind of Baptist. He said, it's kind of, <laughs> and I said, he said to me, it's kind of between Baptist and Pentecostal. Do you oh. think that was a coincidence? <laughs> and I'm sitting, I'm like, all right, Lord, I'm going to try this out. And then something really freaked me out. So about three years prior to this point of my life, I was in Knoxville, Tennessee on a sales meeting and I was at a bar. Um, I had been a red lobster um, up on the north side and a guy came up to me while I was in there drunk with my customers doing shots. And he said, uh, man, I don't usually do this and this is kind of weird. He said, but the Lord said, I was supposed to say something to you. And, um, and I was like, okay, yeah, that's really weird and inappropriate and I'm having fun here and I do not want to hear this right now. Right. And he goes, look, man, I don't know what's going on with you. He said, but God's got a plan for you. And I was just supposed to tell you. And I was like, okay. And so, you know, and people are looking at me like, what in the world? <laughs> and I'm acting like, I don't know why he's saying that to me. This is really strange. Okay. The day that I went up to Free Chapel, I walked up to the front steps of that church. And there was Charlie. The I'm sorry, Chris. Chris Atkins. Chris you. Atkins is his name. Chris wow. Atkins. And he's standing there and he's looking at me and he's like, what took you so long? And I'm freaking out, Dee Dee. <laughs> I'm freaking out. I'm like, what is going yeah. on? This is, this is not normal. And he's just sitting there and, and, and I came up to him and I'm like, what's going Did on? Did he recognize you? I'm yes, sure. he recognized me. And it was like I had, like no time had passed. Like right. He looked at me and I was like, dude, what are you doing here? What is happening? <laughs> Ends up, he had come down and he's in ministry up there today. He's awesome. And his son had come down from Chicago earlier in Chris's life. He had had issues with drugs and alcohol and lost his family. His wife left him and he ended up down here in ministry. And then his son had just come down who was dealing with drug and alcohol issues and had started a men's group. And that just fell in like a hand in a glove. And wow. Dee, I was like, okay, all right, God, now you're showing me not only are you real, but you're doing miracles. Like this is really freaking me out in an awesome way. Right. I am on board. And it was one story after another like that. And, and it has just, so I was like, all right, God, I'm on board. Whatever you want, I'll do it. You know? And, um, yeah, you have to be careful. With so that, that started the church. All right. The recovery started because I was uh, going through a divorce and my lawyer said, you need to get into alcohol and drug recovery. We need a letter from a therapist stating that you're okay to keep your kids, you okay. know, fighting so for custody. it was about custody. your kids. It was about my kids, my lawyer telling me. And I went to a Devin Vicnair. Uh, I hope he doesn't mind me saying his name. He was over at Summit Ridge. Okay. He, he was really wonderful. 
And I saw him and opened up my heart to him and shared with him everything going on, all the things I'm telling you. I told Devin, and uh, we he liked me right off the bat, and he said, "You know, you're an alcoholic addict, right?" And I was like, "Yeah." I think I fought it for a little while, and then after several weeks of seeing him, he said, "Hey, look," he goes, "Um, I got nothing else to offer you." He said, "You need some recovery," and he said, "I want you to go to this 12-step recovery group." Listen, I'm not going to mention the name of it because I want to um, maintain the traditions and okay. maintain anonymous at the r- level of press, radio, and films. Okay. Um, but so I started into a 12-step recovery group, and I started going. He told me to go three times a week for like a month. Right. And I got my little sheet signed, and I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm going to sit around with all these people, these losers, and say, oh, I'm. Is that what you thought? I did. Step it in. That's what I thought. So you were actually kind of stigmatized. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I said, man, you, you got to sit around in a group. Because, you know, I grew up in construction. I played inside linebacker. I was a man. So there was you know? a little bit of macho-ness I don't happening. need a group of people sitting in a round circle of chairs saying, right. you know, sharing my problems and all that. I didn't feel like I needed that. And uh, it didn't take long. Before I realized that's exactly what I needed. Right. And all the pride and stigma, all that stuff got knocked right off my shoulders by some very intelligent men in recovery. Mm -hmm. Um, I met my sponsor, John Bowles, there and um, some other people. And, you know, they called me out on my BS in about 10 seconds. (laughs) They said, dude. Because no one can spot that like another addict. God (laughs) knew I needed that. I needed that really bad. I needed some men that could relate to where I was at um, because I've never gotten that in the church. And there's some wonderful men in church. Some of my closest spiritual counselors are in church. Right. But most of these men haven't been through the addiction and the debauchery and all the junk that I had spent my life in for years. And and we tend to want to be sympathetic. You know, we want to blame all our problems on other people, you know, in recovery. Right. We tend to want to say, well, yeah, my mom died. If you knew what I went through, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I've told people this a thousand times. If you sit in a recovery group, you throw all your problems out on the table and let everybody else throw theirs out. 99 out of 100 times, you'll take yours back. Right. You know, my current sponsor lost two of his sons. Wow. Well, I've dealt with some death. I've never dealt with that. Right. You know, and so I, I come to realize that, you know, we're all, you know, fighting the same fight, same struggles with the same answer. And um, sometimes we need people around us that can relate and um, tell us truth. And I found that. So I started church in the 12-step recovery group at the same time. They went parallel. And for a couple years, I just learned and listened. And and then my sponsor said, hey, I was going to a Saturday morning men's Bible study with some of our men that were in 12-step program. And uh, we were just sitting around drinking coffee and reading the scripture. And I fell in love with it. I started to learn things I had never learned before. Yeah. I'm like, wow, how come I don't know this? And he goes, probably because you've never read it. I mean, you know, <laughs> going to church is great, you know. And, right, but and some, some Sunday school classes are better than others. But he said, have you ever just sat down and read the Bible? Right. You know, there's a reason. It's in order for a reason. And there's, you know, you learn it in certain um, methods. And, and so uh, I fell in love with that. And then I started a beginner's Bible study at my house. And that just blew up with people that weren't going to church that were in recovery and um, it just grew and grew and and there's a thousand ministry stories I could tell you so true north when did true north enter your life and is that a um is that a faith-based recovery program or is that something you created or is that a national thing okay so I'm gonna say it's something God created so I don't say it's something I created (laughs) but 
when they asked me to do this, so they had Celebrate Recovery here. Okay. And I think it's a great program. Um, I have nothing. And that's a national. or a, That's national. Okay. Yes. And there's several around here that are wonderful programs. They had one here and it had kind of, uh, the numbers were a little bit low and the guy that was running it who had been dedicated for years had a lot going on in his life. Um, him and his wife were dealing with some things and um, he had to step down. And so when they asked me about coming in and, and doing something, I just knew that um, Celebrate Recovery takes a lot of people. You really need people to help in that. Right. And it covers a lot of areas of, um, of addiction and, and beyond addiction. It covers a lot of other stuff. And I didn't feel comfortable with everything in there. And I knew that if I did it, it was probably going to be me for a while. Right. You know, that's just, that's how it was when the 12-step program started here. When you start a program, you have to commit to it. And you have to be willing to do it if you right. got no help. So I told them, I said, look, I'm real comfortable with alcohol and drug addiction. And I struggled with pornography, with gambling. I mean, there were several other things that I struggled with um, that I've also overcome. Um, but uh, I said, I would do that. And I said, but one thing, I said, I want it to be faith-based. I said, but one issue I got with some of the faith-based programs is you don't ever open the Bible. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, it's great to have a scripture or two and read something and all that. But I just said, if we're going to do this, and I prayed about it. I literally prayed over this for two months before the program started, before Ronnie and them actually fired it up. And I would come in and laid it out. And I said, here's what I want to do. And this is what we do. We come in and we've got about eight people in recovery that are all different teachers. We just facilitate, right. teach. But what we do is we'll go through, we've went through probably 12 books of the Bible, um, studied them verse by verse, chapter by chapter. So like on Tuesday night, uh, tonight we're going through the parables. So I'm okay. teaching on the parable of Pharisee and the tax collector. We have a 30 to 40 minute teaching, okay? And we all have Bibles. We'll all read and we study the scripture. And then at the end of that teaching, we have about a 30 minute, 40 minute time of discussion where we share just like 12 step. You introduce yourself. And then you share about either what the scripture that we studied mm -hmm. means to you or anything in your recovery that you're struggling with or anything you want to share about that's jeopardizing your sobriety. So we have a 30-minute study time, 30-minute sharing time, and then we close with like 15 minutes of prayer. So we have a prayer request and we pray for each other. So you're studying the scripture, you're sharing your heart, confessing and being open about who you are, and then we pray for one another and it is awesome. Do you also do sponsors in this group as well? Do you pair people up? So let me say this. So when this program first started, yes, it's a 12 step program because I love the 12 steps. Okay. And I, we've taught through it three times in our Sunday school class, the 12 steps of recovery, the principles behind the 12 steps of recovery. Uh, a lot of people in the church could really use to work 12 steps. <laughs> Everybody could yes. really use to, because the 12 steps are all biblically based. Right. All of them. If you go back to the Oxford group that come out before the 12 step programs were ever even started, that's where that came from. If you want to study it, look up the Oxford group and see where they originated. Oh. Um, at least five or six of the steps. And then they got kind of added onto a little bit, Bill and Bob. And, but, um, so I've always said this is a 12-step program, and I'm all about working the 12 steps. At True North, we've really more gravitated towards fellowship than sponsorship. Okay. Um, most of our people that are in True North also attend 12-step programs, so they have sponsors. Oh, I see. But some of our members at 12 at, that come to True North, I would say, don't have sponsors. Okay. Um, and we've encouraged them to get them and to work the steps. Some have, some haven't. Right. Um, they're kind of going right now just on studying the Word and prayer and um, actively staying plugged into recovery groups in the church. I see. Which is also a good, you know, that that's a good combination because, you know, some people get 
sober and clean in 12-step programs. Some get clean in church. You know, there's no one way to do it. Yeah. Um, But to answer your question, and I know that was a long answer, but what I have said, we are a 12-step program because I believe in the 12 steps. Right. So your story is pretty amazing with um, the way that everything kind of, you could see the hand of God working yeah. and, and putting the pieces together. Right. You know, you, you are able to look back now and just chill bumps because you see that puzzle being put together. But I want to ask you, what do you say to people that don't have such a um, direct in your face kind of response yeah. in, in they never have somebody come up to them in a bar and say something. They, they don't have like all of these little moments where right. you're like, you definitely know that that has to be God working. Um, how do you talk to people? I'm sure this has come up. It has. I've had a lot of people say to me, I want what you got, or man, I want that kind of experience or something. And this is where if you study the scriptures and you get into deep theological discussions, which I don't, because I can't argue, I can't debate, I get angry and I want to punch somebody. <laughs> I'll never, I'm not going to do that. Okay? But, um, I'm, I'm not, not going to argue with you. I, no, I'm, I'm not a good person to sit down. To, okay, but so you look at man's free will and you look at uh, God's sovereignty, mm-hmm. you know, that God has a plan for our life. What role do we play in that? And, and it's both. I, mean, I can't nail it down. I don't think anybody can, but I will say this. Um, I believe that the role that I played in all of these wonderful things that happened was the day I said that prayer when I fully surrendered. And I said, God, and I literally, I told you I was kind of cocky. Right. I was like, I will do whatever you want. And I meant it, you know. I think some of the things have come about in my life, because there have been a lot of really awesome stories since that day that are just mind-blowing, you know. Um, God gave me those opportunities and did those things because he knew I was going to be obedient, okay? Um, if you haven't had any of those types of, of scenarios happen in your life, ask for them. Tell God, say, I want that. I want some miracles. Now, you know, G- people follow Jesus all throughout the Bible because they wanted to see the miracles. And right. Jesus is like, you know, you guys are just following me because you want to see miracles. So you got to be careful about that. Right. Um, it's not about just wanting something miraculous to happen in your life. I think it starts with a... You know, God, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of the world. I'm tired of trying to do things my way. What do you want from me? I want to do things your way. And I believe anybody can have those types of things happen. I think there are a lot of them in the church that people don't really talk about. You know, I tend to talk about mine often because people ask me to share my story. Right. You know, in recovery or in church or different things like that. Um, and has the Lord blessed me with some things because he had a plan, because he wanted me to do True North? Or the other 12-step program here in Loganville that has 150 members, you know, where there are things that he wanted done. And so he took me, this broken servant of his, and whacked a couple of miracles in my life to open my eyes and delivered me and said, now, Shannon, you're going to do this for my glory. Right. To lift up the name of my son. Sure. It could be that, you know. But you don't have to have, you know, all of these kinds of wonderful miracles and stuff to just simply love on people and love the Lord. Right. And, you know. And I, hearing through your story, I also hear that, um, you know, there were so many seeds planted along the way for you, mm-hmm. way before you ended up in recovery and stuff, uh, your grandmother. Yeah. Um, and I think that from either side, people who may be listening to us who have a 
loved one who is dealing with some of this and then people who may be listening that they themselves are dealing with this look back over your life from where you sit right now and see if you can't find any seeds that have been planted or connections um it doesn't have to be so brilliant as you're saying like just so you know give you chills kind of thing but I think probably most people can look back and say you know these seeds were planted by all these different people um so that's kind of what I hear you saying yeah is that it it doesn't necessarily have to give not everybody's story is going to give everybody chill bumps right but that doesn't mean it's any less important that's right. Or any less valuable to where you end up. No, that's absolutely right. And, and in a lot of the uh, conversations that I've had with people, because um, I, I, unfortunately it's a very small percentage of people that come into recovery that stay clean and sober. Um, that's the hardest part about what I do. And I'm always in myself trying to say, uh, I want to say the right thing. Am I doing, I don't want to do anything wrong to jeopardize this, right. you know, this person's, but in the end, um, I believe in God's sovereignty, and I believe that God is going to do what he does. And um, all I can do is pray for people and just try to reach out to them. And, and I see people that long for God's presence, and they don't seem to find it, and it breaks my heart. Yeah. And I'm like, I wish I could do something. I've talked to Pastor Ronnie about this. I've talked to people, and I'm like, you know, I just want God to just zap that person with a miracle so bad you know, and I've watched some of them die. Right. You know, I've literally walked up on dead people in the woods that had been in my house studying the Bible the previous Sunday, found wow. them dead in the woods. And, um, you know, you just go, man, God, why? You know, why couldn't something have changed in this person's life? And, and I can't answer that. I know we live in a broken world, you know, and I know that uh, the flesh is strong and the world system is powerful. <laughs> There's right. so much stuff in the world that leads us astray. Um I wish there was a, I wish it was 90% of people right. that came into this program and stayed clean and sober. Um, but unfortunately right now, from what I see, it's, it's more like five, maybe 10%. Wow. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That actually stay right. clean and sober. Right. And, and I'm, you know, obviously I don't blame God for that. You know, I right. see the stupid decisions that we alcoholics and addicts make, Right. you know, I don't want to say them, um, but I see people come in and the Lord opens doors and I see miracles in people's lives. I see the Lord do miracle in people's lives. And then they turn around a month later and just go right back out and start mm-hmm. using and drinking. And, you know, it breaks my heart and there's absolutely nothing I could do. And what I've learned in recovery, and I have to talk to my sponsor and other people, is they say, you know what, Shannon? You know, if you get too caught up in all that, all the people that go back out, you right. won't be there for the people that need you. So, unfortunately, I have to let them go. Right. And it's heartbreaking. So, um, one of the things that people often kind of, and, and you can skip this question if, if you don't want to answer it, but uh, what are your thoughts about addiction? Is it a choice or is it a disease? Um, so, it's a disease. Okay. So, like alcoholism, for instance. If you look at the doctor's opinion in the front of the AA book, probably shouldn't have said that, but if you read it in the front, uh, medically, they know for a fact alcoholism is a disease, okay? Mm-hmm. It is actually, there are chemicals in the body, and at one time I could have told you what all these were, but the, the acetone and the different enzymes in the body in an alcoholic break down alcohol differently. And the chemicals that create the urge, the craving for alcohol, are in an alcoholic system uh, at a much higher levels than a non-alcoholic. 
Okay. Right. Now I'll put it to you like this. Non-alcoholics, most of them, they drink two or three drinks. They start to feel a little bit uncomfortable. They're like, that's enough. I don't want any more. Alcoholics, they drink two or three drinks. Things are just getting started. Oh, they're just getting going. <laughs> give me more. Give me more. Right. Well, that's not normal. Okay. That's, that's the, um, that's what we call the allergy, the abnormal reaction to alcohol. So do we, in your thoughts of your own experience and your experience with all a lot of addicted people, mm-hmm. is this true of addiction across the board? I mean, thinking about pornography addiction, thinking about drug, you know, illicit drugs, alcohol. Um, is it, and obviously I agree with you, it yeah. is a disease and that brain chemistry and why would it be that look at your family history? Mm-hmm. It's genetically you're predisposed to that. Um, so I have heard from parents and stuff, especially looking at young kids with porn addictions now mm-hmm. that we're in this age of the internet where yeah. porn is so readily available, um, easy access. Is, is it the same that in that addiction as it is with drugs and alcohol? You know, I don't know. I, I can't answer that. Um, probably some of the doctors and people that specialize in that could answer that better. Right. I, it's the same solution. I'll tell you this, and this is what's most important, regardless of what causes it or mm-hmm. genetics or anything. It's the same solution to all of those problems. I learned in recovery early on that alcohol was just a symptom of my problem. Right. It was a deeper problem. You know, pornography, it was a symptom of my real problem right. and all of those other things, you know. And part of that problem goes back to the Garden of Eden. <laughs> right. When, when we didn't have all these problems and things were much better and God said, hey, I give you everything. You know, I'll give you perfection here and you feel great and your bodies are awesome. Just don't do this one thing. Right. And what did we do? <laughs> the one thing. Yeah, the one thing. Exactly. Uh, one of my heroes is Richard Wombrand, um, the minister who started Voice of the Martyrs. I don't okay. know if you're interested. I mean, um, if you have heard of him, one of the things that he says, which I think is very poignant here, and it kind of echoes everything that you've talked about, is that God does not call us to be the same. He calls us to be one. Okay. And so a lot of what you've talked about, especially in thoughts about people's story who might not have the aha moments that are so obvious that you have had, um, it's those people that played a role in those aha moments. They didn't all have the same job to do with you. Right. But it was all leading to the one solution that you've talked about. So I really like the thought of, you know, not everybody's story is the same. We're not all the same. God doesn't call us all to do the same things, but we are called to be one, a yeah. family with God. Body of Christ. Right. So, um, so that kind of reminds me of what you talked about. Everybody has this role to play. And whether yours was specifically leading you to True North, someone else's might not be as obvious. Or yeah. um, leading them somewhere else that might be a little bit quiet to where they're not in front of people sharing their story. Right. Um, so with parting words, again, I just want to thank you, Shannon, for sharing all of this with us. I want to thank you for your work in this community. Yeah, I know it's desperately needed um i do want to just ask you one last thing which i always ask everyone um throughout this suicide series is if there's someone out there right now that is contemplating suicide is there just i mean you've told us we know your answer to um the solution yeah but in that moment is there something that you can say to them 
Yeah, I mean, call me. (laughs) (laughs) Reach out and talk to somebody, okay? Don't isolate. That's the worst thing we can do. Um, Dealing with that type of struggle, you know, which usually stems from a lot of other junk. Um, Call somebody. Call me. Uh, And this is a good time if you want to share your uh, number or if you want to share your email. So my phone number is 770-833-0764. If I don't answer, text me. Um, I'll call you back. You know, this is just part of what I do. Everybody at my work knows it. And um, my uh, email address is lherndon, H-E-R-N-D-O-N, at a-s.com. A is in Apple, dash S is in Sam.com. Um, so a lot of times, and I love this, because in 2 Corinthians 5, I don't know, 20-something, um, Paul says, we are ambassadors of Christ as though God was making his appeal to the world through us. So I believe God's favorite way to work is through people. And when it says we are ambassadors of Christ, it's that love that we share. When the disciples told Jesus, it's like, what do we do? What do you want us to do? Jesus said, the world will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. Okay, and when you get a phone call from somebody that's contemplating suicide, and I have, or somebody that's, you know, into bad addiction or whatever, and I have, and you can just reach out and just love on them. Just talk with them. I'm not giving them answers. I can say, hey, dude, I've been right where you're at. Right. I know what you're feeling. And then they sense that. And then there's um, a bond, a relationship that starts. People find God in that. Right. So if you can't find Bob, God in the church or the Bible or whatever, you can probably find God in a group in recovery. Sometimes that's where it starts. You know, I'll say, I told a guy one time, I said, man, you're doing great. And he said, oh, no, not me. To God be the glory. And I said, oh, I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to Christ in you. And he goes, <laughs> ah, okay. He said, now that one I'll take. And that's where we see Christ sometimes in people. So if they're contemplating suicide, reach out to somebody. Call me. Call a pastor. Call a family member. You know, go to a 12-step recovery group, you know, and just say, man, I'm contemplating suicide. And people will love on you and they'll care about you. And, um and then maybe you can be like me. You can avoid that and then go on and have a life that is absolutely, unbelievably wonderful. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. We really appreciate your time. You're welcome, Dee Dee. Thanks for having me. This podcast is brought to you by Walton Wellness, Inc. and the Walton County Healthcare Foundation. Email us at waltonwellness at gmail.com. Find us on the web at waltonwellness.org, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you.